Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi there, it's Roger Fox and you're listening to Garden Better, the new podcast from Better Homes and Gardens. This is our third episode and I'm here with Jenny Dillon, my co-host. Hi Jen. Hi Roger. So in this episode, we're going to check out the best flowers for autumn colour because that's the season we've just entered. Take a look at what you can plant in your veggie patch this season as well. There's all sorts of plantings can go on in autumn, so it's a great time to get active. Head to your nursery. And, uh, and start getting your favourite plants. Also, Roger chats to Graham about how to create a tropical look in your garden. And later on, don't miss our chat with Milton Black, Australia's favourite astrologer on Gardening by the Moon. Gardens often put on their best flower displays in spring or maybe in summer, but there are some gorgeous blooms that open up their buds when the weather starts to cool down and the days grow shorter in autumn. So it's worth getting to know some of them so you can extend the seasonal colour at your place right through until winter kicks in. Jen, do you have any favourite autumn blooms in your garden? Lots and lots and lots. Where are we going to start? Then? Oh, I don't know. You know, it's just so surprising how many there are out there. Yes, I know autumn's a fabulous time and a bit undervalued, isn't it? Yeah, but one of my absolute favourites, and I think it's one of yours too, mm. is Japanese anemones. Oh, yes, they're absolutely top of the list. But I call them windflowers because anemone is such a hard word to say. It is, and it's usually mispronounced. So we'll yeah. stick with windflowers. Okay. And where do you grow them? Because they love shade as well. Where they love you shade, but they, they, I think they just deserve a garden bed all to itself. All to their own, yeah. You know, they, because they they've do. got that beautiful, lovely foliage down the bottom and then up these long, long, long stems and, and these beautiful poppy-like flowers. It's like they're the, the prettiest dancers in the plant world. They really are lovely. Just the slightest movement they of the air. They flutter, and just, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, gorgeous. absolutely. No, you're right. And for people who don't know them, they're a gorgeous plant. They die off over the foliage dies back a bit in the, the coldest parts of winter, but the rest of the year it looks great. And the flower stems come up in autumn in a really crisp white or a really nice pale pink. Do you have both? Uh, no, I don't have them at all. Oh, I thought you <laughs> But had they're them. my favourites. They're your favourites. Okay. Yes. I mean, um, they... They're not suitable for my garden at yeah, all. Not not the right sort. No, not the right soil, not the right shades, um, you know, the, the right conditions for it. It just doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, moving along, you've had your pick. Um, one of my other favourite autumn blooms, and again, really easy to grow, is liriope, which is a grassy plant. It's got strappy grassy leaves, um, and, and in autumn it sends up those little flower spikes covered in tiny little purple bells. Beautiful purple Again, bells, yeah. It's great. Where would you suggest using? I think it's more shade loving. More shade, and it likes. I think it's a really, really lovely border plant. Yeah, and good idea. Mass plantings. Mass plantings under trees and things yes. and along pathways. Yes. It's easy to find. One of the ones I really like is a cultivar called Evergreen Giant because it gets the best flowers. Yeah. So, again, if people are looking for that, Evergreen Giant, Liriope's wonderful. Um, now, another of my favourites for autumn is Plectranthus, which uh, which is quite a big group of plants, but there's one called Mona Lavender, which gets little purpley flowers at oh, this yeah. time of year. Yeah. And they like, they like the... the um, shady areas as well. They do as well. Yeah, you're quite right. And they, they grow really well. Again, under trees is good, or shady side paths and uh, and good good flowers right through. But autumn. one of the interesting things about them is they're 
gorgeous foliage. I mean, I know their flowers are lovely, but yeah. the foliage is just beautiful. The foliage of Plectranthus is wonderful, absolutely. Yeah. Now, listen, one old-fashioned one. I'm not sure how I feel about this, but they flower amazingly in autumn. Is the chrysanthemum. Mm-hmm. Are they a bit nana or do you think we're still using them? No, I. well, you might think they're a bit nana. I don't. I just think them, the, some of the blooms, you know, the double blooms, they're just sort of like big, Big cushions. Yeah, they are stunning. They're so soft and vibrant colours. They're just, they're just amazing. Yeah, they're gorgeous. Uh, so in the garden, you can grow them. I would recommend if anyone's buying them, get the shorter, more dwarf varieties because they can get really rangy and leggy looking. Yeah. But uh, they do do well, and I, I think they need more more sun than shade. I think chrysanthemums are a, a, Absolutely a, a, sun. a sun lover. Yeah. But they're another one for autumn, which is gorgeous. Now, yet another, which is a shrub, and I guess everyone knows it, is the Sanqua camellia. Mm-hmm. Do you grow any of those at your place? No, my mother. Did though? Did you? Yeah, I, I have a hedge of them. I have one called Plantation Pink, and it's absolutely beautiful. And in fact, you know, the, oh, it's a funny story. Well, it's not really a funny, but it was funny for us because when my dad died, it was a Irish wake, and everybody just had a wild time. But I, the the camellias were out at that time of the year, and right. I just went out and picked them and put them in the bird bath, and we had a marquee put above where wow. everybody was, and they just looked stunning, and they were my father's favourites. Wow, and what a lovely idea! So you cut off the blooms and float them in a, a bird bath or a bowl of water as yeah. a floating flower. Yeah. I haven't tried that. That's a beautiful idea. I might have to get stuck into that at my place. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. All right. Now, I'm just thinking there are more, if we're giving people hints. Um, Tipichinas come into flower in autumn with their mm-hmm. wonderful purple colours. Mm-hmm. Again, slightly warmer climates, I'd say, for those. Very much. But also yeah. another feature about the Tipichinas are their leaves, their wonderful donation. You're right. Yes. They're yeah. long and with those very expressive veins. and yeah. uh, So they look great out of flowers, but they're stunning when they come into bloom, aren't they? Yeah. That sort of splash of royal purple is just amazing. Um, What are other things? Easter daisies, not so common anymore. They're known as Michaelmas daisies in the UK. But they pop pop into bloom at this time of year. Have you you ever tried those? No. But what I have tried and I love very much are the native fuchsias. Oh, Coria? Coria. Coria, of course. Yeah, and yeah. they just, they just, they, they start out in, in autumn and they go all the way through winter practically. And they just sort of, they come in so many amazing colors, all these little bells ringing throughout winter. They're really sweet, aren't they? The, the flowers, as I recall, they're sort of a, a, a orange and uh, yellow sort of splash no, to them. you can get more than that now. There's bright orange, there's okay. reds, there's yellows and greens, and, of course, there's the old white. It's the Coria Alba, yeah. yeah. And what sort of conditions? Mainly sun, I'm presuming, sunny sun, spots. Sun love coast. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah. Sandy soil. Sandy soil. And they oh. love wind, thrive on the wind, and um, anything coast, all the coastal exposure where you've got that, um, the winds and the heat. Wonderful the, idea. So another good plant to look out for, particularly if you like natives. the birds. Oh, the birds love them, do they? Yeah, because all the other nectar-producing flowers have gone. Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. Everything gets a bit quiet. What sort of birds? They get the… Honey uh, eaters. Honey eaters. Yeah. Wonderful. So yeah. it's nature attracting as well. Yes. Good. Okay, well, that's kind of a nice list of inspiration. The only other ones I'd mention, there are actually a couple of bulbs that come out at this time of year. Uh, Not all yes. bulbs are in spring. No, there's autumn bulbs as well. Yeah, what are your faves? The crocus. The, yeah, the autumn crocus is gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It really is. And you should be planting – well, you should have planted them a couple of weeks ago, I guess. Yeah, look, nurseries sometimes sell them at this time of the year in bloom. I have right. cheated and bought them in flower. But they're cute with those – it's sort of grassy leaves and a cute little single flower that pops up. Mm. And uh, uh, they're, they're very tough again. Path edgings, I'm thinking, is a good spot for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they yeah. do well in paths. And the other autumn bulb that I always see are nareens, which yes. are a, quite a showy one. But you would have had to think about planting them a while back. You're right. Yeah. 
but it's nice colour for autumn. So if you have a garden which does its whole colour thing just in one season of the year, I think it's time to get out and have a look what's in nurseries right now during the autumn months and take a few plants home for your place. Absolutely. You're listening to Garden Better. Most gardeners who grow veggies plant a spring crop which you harvest through summer and an autumn crop for harvesting through winter and spring. And for autumn planted veggies, the earlier they go into the ground, the better, because you get to harvest them sooner. And now is the perfect time to plant. What do you think, Jen? What are some of your favourite cool season veggies for planting around now? Oh, beetroot. I love beetroot. Um, to me, it's just the ideal winter food. It's got a great taste, great texture, and really filling, and just such a gorgeous colour on the plate. It is, and like that old joke, you can beat an eggplant, but you can't beat a root. Oh, Roger. Anyway, moving right al- <laughs> moving right along. Sorry. Um, what are what are the other what are some of the other autumn veg that you uh, pop in right now? Well, I'm a working girl, so I do a lot of stir fries. It's quick. Um, so I like to have some pak choy or bok choy, whichever way you want to say it, and it's a quick grower. The only problem is that, you know, you've got to really be careful with it because the dirt gets in between the leaves. And when you Yes, it is great. And you're right to mention quick growers because some of the autumn veggies, delicious though they are, I'm thinking of cabbages and cauliflower, are anything but quick. There's a lot of quite slow to mature varieties that mm, go in now. Yeah. So that's not a bad hint. I think you should balance up your plantings with veg between slow and quick growers so you've always got something you can harvest and yes. uh, pak choy is fabulous for that. Um, the other thing I'm thinking one of my favourites to put in now because you can harvest it over such a long period is broccoli. Hmm. It's just wonderful. You put it in and you can just almost harvest part of the plant You know, grab a few florets as you need to um, cabbages and cauliflowers we've talked about. It's also a good time for uh, the onion family. Uh, yeah, perfect. Onions, spring onions. Yes, all of them. All of them. Leeks as well, yes. which take a little while to mature, but lovely. Now, another quickie that comes up and can be harvested whenever you want is um, English spinach and silver beet. They're really good for And you know what else you could try? There's an Australian version, Warrigal Greens. Oh, of course. That's right. Is it available as a seed? It's not usually available as seedlings, is it? Oh, you can get it from specialist people. Oh, can yeah. You? Okay. Um, so but it's mostly a forager's plant. You see them on the, yeah. on, on the coastal areas, people foraging for the warrigals. It's just a lovely sight. Which side. I love. And it's one of the few sort of edible grain veggies in Australia, isn't it? Yeah. So and yeah, it tastes wonderful. It tastes wonderful. And, um, there's a couple of other things for your autumn planting. Peas go in now for, uh, for veggies by spring, broad beans. And lettuce, and uh, just hint-wise, if you want to get things going even faster, I'd recommend planting seedlings. But if you're the patient type and you have the perfect little environment to grow seeds, you can start them off in trays. But whichever way you do it, it's uh, it's a lovely thing to do in autumn. Plant a few veg, don't you think? It's the perfect weather for it. It seems like so many gardeners these days want to create the relaxed resort-like vibe of a tropical-style garden around their home. It's the idea of your backyard being an escape where you can withdraw and transport yourself to somewhere exotic. Well, here to talk all about tropical gardens with me is Graham Rowe, who's a garden designer for Better Homes and Gardens TV show. Hi, Graham. Hey, Foxy. How are you, mate? Doing well, thanks. So, look, let's start at the beginning. What are the Mm. sort of elements that go into creating a garden to give it a sort of tropical theme or a tropical feel? Well, well, for me, first and foremost, looking from the design point of view, always try to design <clears throat> or look for gardens that can harmonise the the house and the and the infrastructure. So for so me, it suit the building sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, they have to have zero separation. So the house, yes, that's where we all live. But for me, being a biased garden designer. 
the house is just as important as the garden. <laughs> so for me, yeah. so the garden, the garden just has to basically work with the surrounds. So they all, or the house and garden have to merge, don't they? They sort of. Have I believe that. Yeah. And tropical gardens more than any gardens because they sort of fold into the building, don't Absolutely. they? They're, not, they're so not formal. It basically, yeah, tropical gardens uh, derive from people going on holidays, coming back with all these inspiring totally. ideas. So it's the resort thing. Yeah, the, it's, yeah, it's almost like we have a backyard at home, but we don't use it to relax and sunbake until no. we actually go to Bali or go, you know, go elsewhere. We so, just mow the lawn and worry about yeah, it otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so so for me, um, a garden also should be able to roll with the garden. So if there's hills or if it's flat or it's, if it's this or that, or there's hard surfaces like driveways and, you know, and paving and things like that. Also, with each site comes its own microclimates, as you know, direction of, of the sun, all of that course. stuff. So a good garden initially has to take in all of that. But when it comes to the plants, the best part of it, for me, I always try to go with uh, varying heights and canopy Um are the layered things? Absolutely, so sort of have the palms to. up high, for example. Absolutely, and yeah. then down to the next layer of shrubs, yeah. and then down to sort of the tropical ground covers and all that sort of absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. So you've yeah. got yeah, yeah. Yep, so absolutely. you fill all the different layers of the garden, and you end up not looking yeah. at your neighbours if you get it the right yeah. way. Yeah. And the thing is, as well, with with a flat planted garden that's narrow along the fence, you can essentially only get two plants deep in the of whole course. planting. Yeah, yeah, so for me, okay. if you can belly out and create curves, you can create height. You can have have your palms, then you have your mid-level hibiscus, frangipanis, and then bring it down to the full sun bromes and all your, your lower garden. So for me, the heights and the different canopies with the sure. textures – Colours, all that, really make a garden stand out. Yeah, and I'm also thinking a lack of formal structure. So the paths all twist mm. and wind. Beds can be slightly different depths, um, yeah, etc. So you try and avoid that strict um, garden bed around the fence look, don't you? Absolutely, if possible, yeah. So yeah. Um, I always, uh, when I, whenever I'm giving advice to anyone that'll listen, people only want they want to use the maximum amount of lawn, and they only want the gardens around around the fence. But for me, yeah, absolutely, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> so you've called the wrong guy. Totally. So. So for yeah. me, if you you can actually create from a flat block, you can actually create a, a huge oasis. So um, for me, like if I have a small round garden, I can still overplant that guy. So yeah, so and I and I feel that where people go for these tro- tropical holidays, the gardens are nuts. They're lush. They're layered. They're everything. So you don't want just a single just a single layer of agapanthus or something. That's not lush. Lush yeah. is the organised or unorganised rambling jungle. So if and you can actually create that uh, with time, but and plant selection, but the wilds of the gardens, I feel, are more tropical and relax people. I agree. And the other thing, when you say people get inspired by holidays, the other thing that I like to add uh, or, or, or like to see in these are things like the Oriental or Balinese statues, which are easy yeah, to get, yeah, sure. you know, and they do transport you as so your way. And Absolutely. the other thing is the sort of tall glazed pots used as water features. Yeah. You know, just sort of those those elements. And even the um, Oriental lanterns look really lovely. Oh, absolutely. So, as well as the layout and the layers we've discussed, there's also those other elements as well. Now, yeah. moving along, uh, let's get to the real meat of it. Um, let's talk about plants because they're essential, obviously, mm-hmm. to tropical gardens. Um, what are your, let's say, your top five or your top 40 knowing you? Top five, top wrong, five. wrong guy to ask. Wrong guy Next to ask. question. Yeah, um, <laughs> top five, if I have to choose top five we in can no particular order. Okay, yeah, thank we you. We got, we've got a week to talk about oh, this. Yeah. Uh, for me, okay, let's start about creating the canopies and the heights. Let's go with palms. Yeah, I agree. Small trees yeah. or palms. So for me, I mean, talking about my garden, and low maintenance, but for maximum power, bang for your buck. Like I like the triangle palms, the the golden cane palms, kentias, 
and always have to have some type of Bismarck, some type of pow in there. What, the silver-leaved one? or uh, uh, I'd say, yeah, the silver or the blue. The blue, yeah, yeah depending on striking. what state you're in. Yeah, but for me, that creates height. Yeah. Uh, for me also, I can't go without quarter lines. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. The more the merrier. Yeah, the, the bright-leaved ones, the quarter-line fruticosa cultivar. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, not the spiky ones that you see no, here, no, there and everywhere. They have their place. But I, I feel um, – see, the thing is with tropical gardens, the more leaf and the bigger leaf area, the more tropical it feels. It looks, yeah. So yeah. Um, line fruticosa and all those cultivars with the nice, big, lush leaf just, just add to a garden. Of course, but, and that's a big part of it, just interrupting you, the fact that the foliage colours are almost mm. as important as the flower colours, quarter lines and bright. Bromeliad's obviously a fantastic yeah. candidate. Oh, absolutely. So. And see, with cordyline, what that does is that creates that fan, if you will, of like a flax or of a lush flax, but it actually is only on top of the stalk. So that it can yeah, create like a ginger feel where mm. you have all your layers, but the cordyline's grow up through and then they do their thing. So they, they can just be here and they're not Of course, really and they give you space base. at the base there for oh, other things around them. Yeah, Which is important, true. Rog. Because, you know. <laughs> that's the ground cover zone. Yeah. And for me, look, looking, um, looking through my favourite gardens, my favourite plants that I need to have in a garden are the non-flowering types or the Oh, I mean, they're all flowering types, but the, the plants that are known just for their for foliage. foliage yes. So things like calathea. Yeah, love Look, calathea. Oh, my God. Yeah. So uh, calathea is a brino, uh, macayana and insignis for me. Obviously, you need their underplants. So if you have the taller shrubs and the taller trees, you can have these plants here that just, you know, poke their little peacock feather leaf out and things like that. And the best known calathea is called a peacock plant, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I think that one would be Makayana. I think Yeah, like the And it's the most commonly seen one around. Absolutely, yeah. For anyone who wants to try the same look. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And for me, um, full sun... Full sun broms, depending on your on your climate, mm-hmm. the full sun brom like alcantarias and eggmias and things like that. But if you do have a shadier garden, I don't think you can go wrong with your vresias. You know the snakeskin yeah. vresias and hieroglyphicas and things like that. For me, interest at every corner. Yep. So there's a bromeliad almost for every sort of uh, aspect, isn't there? You can yep. get some for the sun, they've, like you said, alcantaria. They've thought of everything. There are so many for the shade, and of course they love dry shade, which is yeah, so few plants. Um, and tolerate. also for anyone that wants a no dig garden. As well <clears throat> under trees where your soil depth is an issue. Yes, uh, yes of course. Yeah, you don't need in. soil depth. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. I'm thinking also, I jotted down a few of my favourites here, most of which you've mentioned. Um, I love the look of Jatura or Brugmansia mm-hmm. where it will fit with those amazing flowers. Um, Mandevillas, not strictly tropical, but they're a nice little climbing plant. They work. They're great colours. Yep. <clears throat> um, and even uh, Bougainvillea is a personal oh, favourite yeah. of mine. Hibiscus you mentioned and all the gingers, the flowering gingers. Oh, absolutely. Results, which are so just have that strap, that strappy yeah. little foliage, and same look. And with those in the quarter lines, they sway in the breeze, which is a relaxing kind of. And motion. they mass plant really well too, which looks oh great, yeah. Doesn't it? yeah. And the thing is, getting back to uh, the Mendevilles and, and um, Bougainvilliers, a lot of. Uh, plants that people associate as tropical is just because of the flower colour. Yes, of course. I realize. So people see bright and go, oh, wow, that's Balinese. Mm. And no matter where it's from, no, it's actually an African desert plant. But hey, <laughs> <laughs> we can include it. It'll work. And that's, yeah. br- that's a good point you make because I just wanted to talk about climate. Not everyone uh, in Australia lives in a tropical area, but there mm. are quite a lot of tropical look plants that will tolerate cooler places. Absolutely. And even some will tolerate a little bit of frost. And surprisingly, Bougainvillea will. I've seen it in rural parts oh, of uh, Australia. 
Australia getting hammered by. It's frost. just happy to get a start, honestly. Yeah. So I wondered, what do you think are some of the best to try in those cooler, yep. cooler <clears throat> situations, or maybe where there's a hint of frost, if you still want a tropical garden? Yeah. Talking from experience, look, I uh, I don't get a lot of frost where I am. I'm down the south coast and close to the sea, but we don't get the frost, but we get the cold winds. Yeah, yeah. And I feel when it comes to, I know a lot of gardens down there. It's not necessarily the temperature drop. It's the it's the winds that yeah, can right. really just cut your whole garden in half. Um, so I think with the low temperature and the strong southerly, things like cordelons will bounce back, but they will get hammered. They just yeah. go straight through a sh- uh, shredder. You know, bananas, anything with a big leaf. You're right. The leaves get, get really shredded, shredded, don't they, by winds? But they bounce back really good. Mm, they do. Um, so for me, like I, I have an ornamental bananas, a lot of a lot of cordelons and, and things at home, and they do get shredded, but they bounce back. <clears throat> the cold never seems to be an issue. But also some of the palms, like golden cane can take it. Golden canes, um, rafers can take it. Rafe, yeah, I was going to say rafers, and also the Chinese fan palms as yeah. tough as blazes in sort of. Cool, yeah, r- that's for really cold areas. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, look, I one thing I'm going to bring an Aussie native into here. Uh, I, I've used this in gardeners on is the crinum. Oh, it's just course. that big, broad, sword leaf. You know, it's, it's upright. It's got a bonus flower. The swamp swamp lily, I think it's called. I think it is called that. Depending yeah. which nursery you're buying from. Yeah, it's but gorgeous. The they, flowers are white always, aren't they? Oh, they're beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I know, I know they'll take things mm-hmm. also like Sansevieria, which isn't kind of technically a Mother-in-law's plant. time. Oh, mate. Yeah, that's true. That's very cold tolerant too. But it's it? not essentially – well, the thing is garden design when it comes to tropical themes has evolved and all of a sudden – there's succulents thrown in there. There's there's the, the, the South African sense of beer is all thrown in there, but they still work and because they're interest. And they just uh, – they're different to everything else. So sense of beer is, I know, will take it. Yeah, Some good. hibiscus can take it. Okay. Even the taller – the heart-shaped uh, hibiscus tiliaceus, I think, it may have had a name change, but I know that can take the cold. Okay. It's got the that wind. sort of nice yellow flowers with a oh, maroon throat. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Beautiful. Mm. And look, the, stra- the straight green you'll see growing in full sand in Hawaii, but I have the burgundy version it, um, in Wollongong, and it just gets smashed by the southerly. It's wow, just like, okay. thank you, come again. And does really well. The other one I was going to mention, only because I once went to a, a tropical-style garden in the heart of London, would you believe it? Wow. And they had bananas, which they took inside for the winter. They, they, they wrapped them. Tree. They wrapped them. Yeah. But everything else stayed outside. And one of the best plants, I w- walked in and thought, wow, what's this fabulous, tropical-looking, glossy-leaved plant everywhere? And it was Fatsia japonica, oh, Fatsia. which is yeah. a really common plant. Anyone oh, yeah. would find it in an Australian nursery. Yeah. But there it was in London, incredibly cold tolerant, yeah. and gave us sort of tropical look because of the big glossy leaves. So I was just going to throw that one into the And you see Fatsia now has made a, a resurgence as the indoor plant. Who, who would have thought course, that, that a plant that's been around since time began yeah. can actually take the cold, can actually take the heat, can actually take the drought and when you overwater it, can last. I know. It? And it bounces, a pot plant. Well, you can imagine how surprised I was to see it in London. So yeah, there you go. A lot of uh, plans do the thinking for us. They do indeed. Now, let's move on to another topic which affects all gardeners, but it's good news with tropical gardens. That's maintenance. Mm-hmm. Because they're so um, emphasising colourful foliage, they don't actually require heaps of maintenance if you set them up right and get your mulch right and all That's that right. sort of stuff. Yeah. I, yeah, for me, um, my garden at home and a lot of the gardens I have <clears throat> consulted on for people as well, the maintenance generally uh, comes in removing dead fronds or dead leaves or if something's finished flowering. So it's but tidying up a lot of the time. I think that's it? all it is. It's yeah, detailing. Right. Right. And for me, if you get it right when you start a garden and you, you add organic matter to the soil of course. and then only have to top it up with some fertilizer here and there, other than that, I will as well – 
You can only garden with plants that actually want to be there. Yes, of course. So, so choose the, the right plants to for better. your climate. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I mean, that, that goes with any gardeners on, really. Choose plants that want to be there and the maintenance is cut in half. So, And also as well, you and I being plant heads here, the more plants in a garden, the better for me. So the, the more plants, the more lush, and the more lush – It'll, it'll smother out potential weeds. It creates its own microclimate. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And because you are a bit of an expert in tropical gardens, how often do you feed yours? Are you sort of a once oh, a year or is it a very just asking. If I'm yeah, giving right. advice to someone, you yeah, know, once yeah, a month yeah. at least. Yeah. Do, <laughs> yeah. do as yeah. I say, not as I do. Yeah, yeah. essentially. Okay. Look, my, so my gun at home is 12 years old-ish um, <clears throat> and I feed it maybe twice a year. Okay. But I've only used plants that generally want to be there. My soil's mixed. I haven't improved the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, um, gardening is trial and error, and it still is. Um, but if I was planting someone else's garden, I wouldn't try and experiment with plants. I would just use plants that actually haven't failed for me. Yep. But, yeah, essentially, look, I, I, I just try and use plants that are tough, still give you the effects, still give you the, the feel that you're going for, but actually generally want to be there and can kind of look after themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we've sold the whole tropical garden theme brilliantly so. just in this little chatter. I think thousands of people will want to try it. So it's great to hear all about the details of how you do your place. Thanks for chatting, Graham. No worries. Thanks, Rog. Hi, Milton. It's Jenny here. How are you today? Very well, thank you, Jenny, and a big hello to the gardeners. We're going to talk about what to do in the garden over the next couple of weeks according to the moon cycles. That's true. And uh, we couldn't wish for a better couple of weeks. This is going to be a really, really busy time for gardeners. The, The moon at the moment, running right up until Thursday the 4th, is right at its lowest ebb. So you don't plant anything during this period. So what you do is you prepare your garden beds. You get everything ready. You fertilize. You get your lawns ready. This is a perfect time for doing the lawns, but not planting just at the moment. But this whole week is to get the lawns ready. Also, dig those potatoes out. You know, those sweet potatoes and potatoes. As the tops die off, get into them because this is a perfect week for that sort of thing. And cut the pumpkins and the marrows as those leaves die. It's a beautiful time when the moon is really down to to pick the fruit and also don't forget to dry off those runner beans french beans and corn seeds if you like doing it yourself as as far as getting your own seeds are concerned so you put them aside let them dry out perfect week to do this sort of thing and don't forget this is a very important one order those Uh, certified strawberry runners if you're a strawberry fan and uh, plant them sort of as we go through in this next couple of weeks. But um, I think you'll find that this is an excellent period for preparation. That's what it's all about. So the moon is at its lowest point on Thursday, April 5th? The new moon comes into Aries at 6.50, so there's no planting on Friday. But on the the 6th, the moon is in Taurus late in the evening. However... That is a good day for transplanting on that day on Saturday. So you can transplant on the Saturday, the 6th. And, of course, the best day is for the above-ground crops, such as cauliflower and uh, endives, lettuce, celery, uh, broccoli and spinach and all those sort of things. 
is going to be on the 7th and the 8th because this is when the moon's now moved into Taurus, which is a semi-fertile sign and perfect, absolutely perfect for those above-ground crops. And don't forget to do the herbs too, Jenny. Put the herbs in during those days as well. We shouldn't be planting any garlic at this time, is that right? No, not not any bulb type of plants at this stage because the moon is growing. And as the moons grow, it's for the above-ground crops. It's when we go to the full moon down to the last quarter of the moon as we plant the below ground crops, such as carrots, radishes, and all those sort of things, the garlic as well. But if you put your garlic in now, over this next uh, couple of weeks, especially between now and the 12th, all you're going to do is get a lot of top stuff and no bottom stuff. So it all sort of pushes at the top and doesn't grow any bulb, and you're not going to come out with good garlic. So it's only above ground crops. And and your you, your flowering bulbs that has the same effect, does it? Yes, flowering bulbs do have the same effect. So we'll talk about when to do those as the weeks go on. But at this time, all we're going to do is this: a few planting days here for the above ground crops, and that's the ninth and the eighth, because that's the moon and Taurus in those days above ground crops, and the eleventh and next Friday as we'll go into the Friday fortnight of the eleventh and the twelfth. Those are excellent for above ground crops. Transplanting days is the 6th as the moon is entering into Taurus late at night and also the moon's in Gemini on the 10th, but you can transplant that day because as the moon moves into Cancer, which is a very, very fertile sign on the 11th, it gives the roots time to sort of catch up there and away they go. But there's no below ground planting at all between now and the 12th. Okay, and what about maintenance? Maintenance fantastic time for maintenance right at this moment. So from now, particularly up until Thursday the 4th, you can even do it on Friday, uh, the new moon on that day, because it doesn't matter if you do maintenance on a new moon. So you prepare your lawns, you spread your compost, uh, your fertilizers is good heavy fertilizing time. Don't forget to spray for those pesky little things that are in the garden at the moment. Yeah. And and also also the mildew on on some of your trees and your your plants and your your vegetables and things are excellent for spraying over this period. And don't forget, people, if you've got a hedge, a perfect time to trim your hedge over this period from now through till Friday the fifth. It's haircut time, absolutely haircut time. All right, that's fantastic. Thanks very much, Milton. We'll talk again soon. Okay, Jen, and happy gardening. Thanks for listening. I've had a great time doing it. Have you, Jenny? I've had a great time too, Roger. So we invite you to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we'd love to hear from you too, so please take a moment to rate and review the show. We'll be back in a fortnight with a new episode. See you then. See you. 